You are listening to the weekly podcast of Bethlehem Temple Church in Middletown, Ohio. We pray you enjoy today's message. Verses number 1 through 10 and verse 19 and verse 20. You have to say, I have it. Everybody ain't said this. You have to say, I have it. And if you would be so kind, if you would just leave uh, your electronic devices on or your Bibles or your Sunday school lesson on this particular page, because I'm going to reference verse, uh, several descriptions. We greatly appreciate it. Verse number 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter, and to another disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and the other disciple, and they came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the supper. And stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went not in. <clears throat> then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulchre and seen the linen clothes lying. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went also that other disciple came, which came first to the sepulchre, and saw and believed. 
for yet he knew not the scripture that, it must, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went again unto their own home. Verse number 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Verse 20. And when he had said so, he showed unto them his hand and his side, and the disciples were glad, and they saw, when they, excuse me, when they saw the Lord. This morning I would like for you to think upon the subject again, coming from our Christian Education Sunday School lesson, risen from the dead. Say, he's risen. He's risen from the dead. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to bless this time we have together. Now, Lord God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer, and all God's people say amen. amen. Our golden text this morning is found in verse number 19. It says, And the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst, and said unto them, Peace be unto you. To get everybody kind of caught up to where we are in the narrative of the gospel. On last week, we celebrated what we call Passion Week. This was the last week of Jesus' earthly life. And this particular week started off last Sunday with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And you remember the story, they began to say, Hosanna. And they began to praise and they wanted to... Uh, coordinate him as king. And even though they wanted to make him king at that particular time, he realized that his mission wasn't to become the king, but to become the lamb. Mm. You know, think about it for a moment. His job wasn't to become the king right now. He's right. coming back right. as the king. Yeah. Yeah. But his first coming, he come for the lamb to be a sacrifice for you and I. <laughs> Now, over the course of that particular week, I'm going to go through it pretty quickly. He cursed the fig tree. He cleansed the temple the second time. And uh, he instituted what we know as the Lord's Supper. And he gave his farewell discourse to his disciples. And there with us last week, we see him doing his intercessory prayer in St. John chapter number 17. And then, I believe last week, we talked about the fact and we saw his agony in the garden. And then he was portrayed and arrested. He was taken to trial before the Jewish authorities, but because they didn't have jurisdiction, we find that they had to take him before Pilate and then before Herod. And Jesus went through a bunch of kangaroo courts and he just passed him off from one place to another where finally they put a sentence on him that he was going to be crucified. Now, on last week we talked about the fact that the, the crucifixion and how gruesome it was, but I want to spend just a few seconds on what happened between the crucifixion and the resurrection. The question on the table, how did the disciples feel? What were their thoughts when they put Jesus in the tomb? What could have been their emotional state when they saw Jesus, uh, when they saw it, or they heard Jesus who had died and they put him in the tomb? How would you have felt being a disciple at that time? Anybody? All right, y'all don't want to participate. Yeah, mother. 
It was finished? Okay. It was finished. It was over. Okay, it was over. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Everything that we had believed in and trusted him and it's over. That's where I'm going with it. And, and she hit right on the head, so had something going on with it. The disciples no doubt felt in one sense betrayed. Because here was a man that some of them left their jobs for. Here was a man that some of them left their families and a, a bridge was, or a divide was made between them and their family. Here was a man that they put their hopes, their dreams, their aspirations, all of their future, and all of a sudden he has died just like the rest of the boys had died. So no doubt he felt, or some of the disciples felt betrayed. Why did you lead us on and like you was going to build your kingdom? Why did you string us along and uh, uh, make us feel like you were different than the rest? Why did you put us through this just to let us down this way? If you could imagine, some of them no doubt were filled with grief because they lost somebody they loved. And we deal with grief. grief there's oftentimes a numbness. There it is a time that you go through that you can't uh, figure out what's going on. You're disoriented and, and, and you feel like you you can't count from one to ten because your mind is so disturbed. No doubt some of them felt like that when Jesus was in the tomb. Their joy, their confidence, their hope had suddenly terminated. It was crushed. It was uh, shattered to pieces. And this was probably, no doubt, the darkest time or the darkest hours for those early disciples. But we have to understand that the disciples was going through what we generally call a crisis of faith. Say crisis of faith. Crisis of faith. A crisis of faith is when what you believe in don't seem real anymore. Anybody ever been there? Can I talk to the real church? Have you ever had a crisis of faith when everything people talk to it seems like it ain't for real? Have you, people ever told you if you put God here and you do this Jump around five times and you spin and you turn flip going down the aisle. Everything's going to be all right and it has become all right. Have you ever grown up in the church believing one thing and how it's going to work out and it hasn't worked like that and all of a sudden you start to question God and, and question God's credibility and you come into a point where there's a crisis of faith. The disciples were right there. That, that their faith and their hope and their dreams has all seemed to vanish away. Yes. See, when we look at crisis of faith, all of us have it every now and then. Now, when we look at a crisis of faith, it's a crisis of confidence. It's a crisis of trust. It's a crisis where, Lord, we put our trust in you, and it did not work out. I remember when First Lady had got cancer, and uh, early my pastor, and I just didn't know what to do and how to feel, and how can I preach faith to other folks when I was struggling myself and went through times of doubt. And since then, I've gone through times of doubt, to tell you the truth. And, and you go through those seasons where you just can't figure out what God is doing. But I remember in Bible college, Warren Wiersbe, uh, I read a quote from him. He said, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. Right. Now, y'all need to write that one down. That, that's how you do In other words, if you 
want to question it, when people want to say it don't happen, and we get all scared. No, if it can't be tested, it can't be trusted. And God has a way of bringing us through the test and the trials when we learn not to lead to our own understanding. As Job said, even though you try me, I shall come forth in pure gold. There might be someone here today going through a crisis of faith. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a marital problem. Maybe it's the death of a child or grief. Or maybe it's being a caregiver. Maybe it's a financial problem. But notice how this first Easter started. In verse number one, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, and it was yet dark. How many of you on Easter is not a time of celebration this morning? It's yet dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's still dark. You still can't see your way through. You still can't see what God is doing. And you still can't figure out what God is doing. And even though the first Easter is started out in a time of darkness, like many of you who are here today and watching, you say, well, Easter is not something something I can celebrate. But when we understand the text, God is going to take them from a place of doubt to a place of belief. He's going to take them to a place where they question to the place they affirm. He's going to take them to a place where they was wondering, but now all of a sudden they're going to be worshiping. God knows how to get you the way you need to be. Yeah, get He says, early in the morning, while it was yet dark, dark symbolizes not being able to see it, it was still dark and, and not only naturally uh, or nightfall, but there's dark times that you go through in life and there's dark emotions sometimes that we got to deal with. And it was yet dark and the Bible said Mary Magdalene was on her way to the tomb. When we understand this particular Mary, the Bible lets us know this was the Mary that Jesus had cast out seven demons out of. This was a Mary that seemed as though she was there and followed Jesus and ministered to many of Jesus' physical needs. And she's named as one that was standing at the cross during the crucifixion. And she was there and saw where they had laid him. Isn't it amazing that the people that God has done the most for, those are the people that Jimmy is the most responsive to him when it comes to working for him? Let me say it like this. If we want to fill up Bethlehem Temple, don't go to other folks' church and try to pull them out. Go to your heads in the highways. Go to the places, the homeless Go throughout the street. Go to the crack house. Go to the places that he can do the most for. And those people will outwork us, outshine us, outworship us, because they know what God has done for them and nobody else will do it. You won't have to try to tell them the worship. You won't have to tell them if God finds something back. They will come in being set free. They will come in being delivered and say, give me just a chance to tell you how good God's been. In other words, where much is given, much is required. And so when we look at the text here, we find that the Bible says that Mary Magdalene was there, she arrived at the sepulchre, and she was the first one there. And, and, and again, it says, why it was yet dark. Now, while Mary was going, and there was other ladies there, it just mentions Mary, 
Mary was the first one there. And while she was going there, Mark said she was wondering, they was talking about who's going to move away the stone. Watch this. While Mary was trying to figure it out, God had already missed it. While Mary was trying to contemplate, while Mary was while she was saying, who's going to move away the stone? Who's going to provide for us financially? Who's going to heal our body? Before she ever got there, God had already made the way and the stone was moved. Some of you are facing the situation today. You're trying to figure out how God's going to work it out. You don't have to figure out how he's going to work it out. Before you get to where you need to be, nothing will be worked out. While she was worried, how my children gonna be saved? While she was worried, how am I gonna make ends meet? How she was worried about the job and the economy. Don't you know God is in the future, the present, and the past? So therefore, before you ever get there, He's got it worked out before you even realize you got a problem. That's the kind of God we serve. So when she gets to the tomb, then we see that. She saw three things. She saw, first of all, a broken seal. You remember in some of the other narratives, they put, their tombs was not like a grave. It was a big open part in a cave. And they put a big 2,000 pounds, a couple tons boulder in front of the tomb. They sealed it with wax so they could tell whether somebody messed with it or not. And when she saw it, she saw it was broken. She saw the stone removed. And as most people say during this particular week, the stone wasn't moved to let Jesus out. Uh, the stone was moved so we can come in. It, it, it wasn't to let Jesus out. It's for us to see he has risen from the dead. When we understand, I, I love the way this particular text says, and when he lifted up, it says, the, the Greek says, taken away, it means lift up the stone. Now we're talking about a couple tons. In, in other words, it, it points back to the uh, uh, the uh, veracity of the fact that he's got up because a stone that big if you roll it, you're going to be able to see the pathway. But in the Greek, it's almost though he, somebody, the angel who died out in Matthew, he lift the stone up and put it in place. Didn't leave a mark. I'm telling you, we serve a great God that got a great arm. If we were to roll, they would have said, we got four, five men, ten men, and we pushed it away. But when it was lifted up, they said, ain't nobody can do that. Verses 3 and 4, Peter and John, they run through the tomb. And the Bible said when they got there, uh, John outran Peter because Peter was a little older at the time. And when they looked in, first of all, they looked, they stooped down, and they saw the clothes lying there. And, and, and by tradition, we, we again, we say Peter was a little bit older, so John got there first. So when John looked in, he saw, but he did not go in. Peter was curious, so Peter went in, and he saw the linen laying there. Now we see in verses 5 through 10, there was an examination. As they stooped down and they looked in, we find out that, uh, first of all, when you look in, there's three different words that is used 
for the fact that look at what they saw. See, one is just he saw in verse number five is like a casual observation. The next word we see in this particular verse or text where it says, see, it was to scrutinize. But the third one is that he understand, understood with a spiritual understanding. In other words, you will see how they transition from how he just saw it to where John said, I understand what it means. John was the one who said he has got up, he's not here, he got up, and all of a sudden we find out that he was going to be the one that was the, uh, uh, the, the, the one that was telling the disciples that Jesus really did get up, and we'll see it here in a moment. We see here that the Bible says when they looked in, they saw his linen clothes in order. See, again, it goes to the fact that if these were some crooks and some robbers that stole the body, they wouldn't have been worried about how neat the clothes were. You ever watch CSI? They ain't trying to cover up that way. They would have did whatever they had to do to grab, grab Jesus out of there. They would have left the clothes. You can see a mark there. You can see where they skinned him across there. But the linen clothes was there right in place. And one of the preparations, it was like they had to uh, wrap him up in linen clothes. And for a better term, uh, wrap him up like a monkey. And when they saw it, they saw the clothes, but the body wasn't there. It's like God says, I'm not going to have to unwrap it. God says, I'm not going to, and typically what they have to do, they have to go there and cut the layers away and peel it back. But when they looked in there, it was like Jesus just disappeared. And left the clothes right where they were. Left his headpiece right where it was. And his face still was in the uh, the piece that he left, the headpiece, but he was no longer there because they had to realize that he was fulfilling scripture just like he said he was going to get up. When we look at it, the Bible says the other disciple, which was John, believed, and when he saw it, he understood or he deserved what had happened. Now when we look at this, we find out then that they went away unto their own homes. But then, all of a sudden, later on, verses 19 and 20, Jesus appeared to some more disciples. Then the Bible says, the same day at evening. Now watch this. We started off, it was dark in the morning. Now it's evening, but it's the same day. Weeping may endure for a time, but joy is coming home. Your day might start off being in the dark, your day might start off being disoriented. Your day might start off, your Easter might start off, or your resurrection morning may start off as one where you can't find your way. But now it's evening time, and God is still working when we don't think he's working. It says, then the same day of evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were free fear of the Jews, Jesus. In other words, because of what had happened those last 72 hours, they were afraid and they got themselves up and they was in a house and the Bible says, then came Jesus. The idea was that Jesus, they didn't have to open up the door. 
The idea was they didn't have to open up the window. Because now he has his new body, what we call his body. He just appeared. How many have ever been in a place where you were afraid they came Jesus? How many have ever been hung off and not knowing what to do? Came Jesus. How many ever been hungry and didn't know where the food was coming from? Came Jesus. How many were being talked about and lied upon? Came Jesus. Jesus knows where you are. And he'll meet you right where you are. I say he'll meet you where you are. This is not a part of the text. I'm going to give you this for free. The first thing he said, he says, Mary, why are you weeping? That's in verses 11 down to verse number 18. In other words, first of all, he knew what Mary was going through, but he called Mary by name. Yes, he did. In other words, the risen Lord, he knows you by name. He knows your address. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're facing. He don't have a savior that can't be touched with eyes first. He said, Mary, Mary says, I know that voice because my sheep hear my voice and a stranger they will not follow. We find hey Jesus stood in the midst and he said, the first thing he said, it wasn't words of condemnation. Why are y'all scared? It wasn't words of condemnation. Where was y'all 72 hours ago when I was at the cross? <laughs> Jokers took off. <laughs> it wasn't words of judgment, but it was words of peace. The resurrection speaks about peace. He says, peace be unto you. And if you are out of sort with God, if you are out of sort with both, if you're out of sort with your relationship, he's still saying, peace be unto you. And the Bible says when they heard this, they were glad. So then, let's make it out. Applicable. First of all, the resurrection means that Jesus Christ declared to be the Son of God with power. In other words, the resurrection showed, in my terms, this is not theology, God at his best. If you want to see God demonstrate his power in the Old Testament, Go to when the Hebrews left the land of Egypt and all of the things that God did to free them from Pharaoh. But in the New Testament, the standard of power was the resurrection. Because Jesus says, and he told them over and over as the scripture said, he said, I'm going to lay down my life. That, that's not going to be the end of my story. I'm going to raise it back up again. And what Jesus was saying, there's other people I raised up and they had to die again. But when I die, I'll never have to die again. And even when we took communion this morning, that instituted the new covenant. So not only is Jesus the legislator, he's the executive and he fits all branches of government. In other words, when, when, when somebody dies and they have a will, which we call covenant, and they die, that person don't know whether it's being fulfilled or not. Being a pastor, there's some stuff folks go through. Folks try to contest it and try to overturn the will. But because Jesus 
gave us his will in the New Testament, and because he's alive forevermore, he said, not only did I make the rules, I will make sure they come to pass. Every promise I made to you, everything I've said to you, I'm able to give it, not because I'm dead, but because I'm alive. Say amen. The resurrection means that we have assurance of our own resurrection. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 says, Brother, I would not that you be ignorant concerning them which are asleep, or those who have passed on that you saw not, even as others that have no hope. He says, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which asleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For I say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or proceed them which are asleep. In other words, what he was saying was, at the day of the rapture, it doesn't make any difference whether you're alive or whether you're gone. He's going to catch us up together. I know it's going to blow some people's minds who title hungry because when, it, when it's time for him to cause him, ain't going to be no procession. Don't let him hurt your feelings. It ain't going to be alive with the bishops, the district elders, the saints, and we're going to go into procession. He said, we're going to be caught up together. Together. Black, white, big, poor, Hispanic, no matter who you are, if you be Christ, you ain't going to have a name Completely. Yeah. See, when God saved us, he didn't do a halfway job. Oh, 
You don't have a halfway salvation. You don't have a part-time salvation. He says he saved us completely. In, in, in other words, he says, if he has started in us, he's going to complete it. Jesus telling stuff. He said, all that the Father has given me. He said, I didn't lose a one. I'm so glad that I'm one of the ones that he said he wasn't going to lose. I, I know 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. It says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. In, in other words, again, you see our salvation is in three tenths. We have been saved, we are being saved, and I shall be saved. See, sometimes we judge folk in transition. And the reality is we all in transition. I've been saved, that's justification. Being saved, that's sanctification. Shall be saved, that's glorification. Being saved in the past, that's justification. That saves me from the penalty of sin. Now there's no more condemnation to those who are in Christ. Sanctification saves me from the power of sin, where sin no longer dominates my life. Glorification don't save me one day from the very presence of sin, where I don't have to worry about the sin nature anymore because I'm going to be with glory. Give God a hand, please. The resurrection assures us that God is with us and it makes Christianity unique from all of the other religions. If you go and see where they lay, Muhammad or Confucius, and you go away or you dig them out or zoom the body, they'll still be there. But when you talk about Jesus, I say when you talk about Jesus, and though many people will try to debate the resurrection, many people will try to say it's a fairy tale. Many people, especially today, will try to spend a whole lot of time tearing down the resurrection. And I'm not going to go into it today because it's going to be covered next week. But just let me say it my way in a song. You ask me how I know he lives. <laughs> I said, you ask me how I know he lived. If you was going to try to discourage me, you should have caught me before he came into my life. If you was going to tell me there is no God and no Jesus and he doesn't make a difference, you should have caught me a long time. You should have caught me over 47 years ago because I know even in my darkest time, there is a God that said, I'll never leave you, but whatever I go say. I said, he walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me I am his He lives. Tell your neighbor, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Not yesterday. He's not a past God. He's not a past God. He lives right now. He got that resurrection power. He's come right now. He lives. I know he did. He did it to me. 
Thank you for joining us. Please like our podcast and leave us a five-star review. God bless and have an amazing week.